Hello and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. I'd like to thank American Airlines for sponsoring today's episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm happy to be talking today with Melissa Majors, who is the CEO of Melissa Majors Consulting, focusing on leadership, education, strategy, and inclusion. And so, Melissa, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do related to inclusion? Absolutely. Well, Lauren, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, an honor to be on the podcast. And uh, a little bit about myself, I am a biracial woman originally from Columbus, Ohio. I am so excited that now I run my own consulting firm. And uh, as part of that organization and running that consulting firm, I do a lot of speaking and educating, but I spend a lot of time helping organizations improve the business impact they can have through much better learning strategies, smart, sound education strategies, also through empowered leaders and empowered leadership at all levels within the organization. And last but not least, I help organizations improve bottom line impacts and be more innovative by being inclusive. So can you tell me, um, first of all, how, un- how usual, typical or not, is it that an organization even has an inclusion strategy? Well, it's a growing field. It's definitely emerging over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. It's becoming very, very popular, I think, for a couple of different reasons. As I examine the motivations that a lot of companies fall into on why they want or exploring having an inclusion strategy, usually their motivation is either optics. So they want to be associated with the narrative of inclusion because it's a hot topic right now. Or there's a compliance reason, a regulatory reason why they need to do that. Some are in it because they have some sort of awakening and they feel guilty. And so some of them, especially in the United States, they're motivated by guilt. The companies that I have a tendency to work more closely with are the, the ones that are forward thinking and see the business case associated with inclusion. Can you describe what an inclusion strategy is and maybe give an example of how you would help an organization that wants to develop such a strategy and enhance their inclusivity among in their culture? Absolutely. So all inclusion strategies have a different shape and feel, which are very much shaped by those motivational factors that I just mentioned. Well, let, me, let me tell you a story. Not too long ago, I was consulting with the head of a a global association, and he said, Melissa, we are really struggling attracting millennials to our events. They hosted several events around the world, and they just really struggled tapping into the demographic. I said, okay, well, tell me about the millennials you have on your leadership team. He says, "Uh, we don't have any millennials on my leadership team. Okay, well, tell me about the millennials that you hang out with on a regular basis. I don't hang out with any millennials on a regular basis. I say, okay, so you don't have any millennials in your social circle. So you, sir, may have a blind spot as it relates to empathizing with the needs and desires of this market. And so the event experiences that you designed for baby boomers and Gen Xs may need to evolve and be very different for the millennial market you want to tap into. 
And so in order to uncover and empathize with them, we built a strategy that made sure they were able to capture the voice of millennials into the ideation phase and the product and event design phase so that they could address those needs and evolve the experience to attract more millennials to the event. And so that's the type of strategy and the process that I use to help organizations uncover the need and then craft an inclusive process to make sure that the right people's voice are included in that and shape the outcomes they're looking to drive. Right. So can you tell me a few specifics of how the event itself was modified to be more sympathetic to millennials? Absolutely. So one was the infusion of technology in the event. So uh, Jason Dorsey, who is a really great speaker and and researcher as it relates to the millennial generational uh, differences, but focuses on the millennial market, he describes this market as not being tech savvy. We have a tendency to to call them tech savvy. They aren't tech savvy. They're tech dependent. And so this organization infused technology and tech social interactions into every aspect at the event. They weren't calling people to try to get them to come to the event. They were using digital and social channels to reach this market. When they came to the actual event, uh, there was a very strong digital presence, and you could network and interact with people uh, online just as well as you could in the hallways or in the classroom. They, They were very, very focused on infusing technology to enable the overall experience, and those were some of the tactics they used, and it worked. Right, and did they do that through the event app? Absolutely. It did it through the event app. Now, they also were deliberate on featuring millennials in their speaker lineup. One of the tactics to attract people to your event is potential attendees need to see themselves in your marketing materials. So we needed this organization was deliberate about selecting millennial speakers, featuring them in the marketing materials so that potential attendees could relate and say, oh, I feel welcome at this event now. Mm -hmm. It's designed specifically for me. And they ended up increasing uh, the first year they made these differences. They increased the attendance in the millennial market by 10%. Great. You address um, some priorities on your website regarding inclusion strategy, that it should be blame-free, innovative, science-based, pragmatic, measurable. Can you go into some more detail about those priorities? Absolutely. I am unapologetic about the angle and the philosophy that I have in discussing diversity and inclusion issues because especially in the United States, There's diversity fatigue. There was a study produced by Harvard, I think in 2016, that uh, that studied the impact of diversity programs, and it showed there was uh, an increase in bias in people after they attended these programs. Uh, Unconscious bias training is a really hot topic right now, but a lot of them aren't done well because what they attempt to do is they point out that you have biases. And they uh, shame and blame you into changing your inherent beliefs. That, Mm -hmm. in studying neuroscience, that triggers either the fight or flight defense mechanism. If I feel that you're blaming me, I'm going to get defensive about it. And so I'm going to hold on to those beliefs even, even harder. And so the reason why I believe that when having these conversations, you've got to have them in a way that's that doesn't sting. You have to have them in a way that's based in science and neuroscience and use that sort of research to tee up 
the business case on why people need to maybe think and approach uh, inclusion in a very pragmatic and systematic way. So, for example, I have a lot of customers who have diverse leadership teams, but the people weighing in on the decisions aren't diverse. There are right. subsets of people in positions of power, and you call those the dominance. I, I give credit to the Neuroleadership Institute for changing the label of the people with power to those in dominant positions versus those mm-hmm. in non-dominant positions. And so what I have discovered is that even though you have diversity around the table, people that are of diverse backgrounds aren't included in the conversation. They aren't included in the decision-making process because they aren't in positions of power. So there are processes that I use, also leveraging technology, to make sure that everyone has a voice, that all the constituents that need to have a say in the design of a solution can contribute equally and can vote and contribute on and help prioritize which which solutions are the company commits to. And so that's a systematic process that I use to make sure everyone's voice is heard. I think that's huge. And I think that all too often it is sort of just too surfacey and not meaningful when an organization says by the year 2025, 40% of our leadership team are going to be women and 10% this, because as you said, that doesn't necessarily mean they really have a role. It might be just, yeah, we're going to put that person in that position because we need another woman, you know, whether or not, you know, she's involved in really making decisions and directing the organization. Absolutely. I mean, you've heard so often that there's a token elected to a position. And really, that's Mm -hmm. done for optics reasons. But McKinsey and the Boston Consulting Group have done studies just last year, and they reported the business case on being inclusive in your practices, that Mm -hmm. by having more diversity at the table and genuinely including them, that these companies that do that are far outpacing from increase in revenue, far outpacing companies that don't. So it there's a business case and a reason why if they're at the table, they need to be able to contribute fully. Right. So let's let's bring this down to the level of the meetings industry and what a meeting organizer or host or planner can do to really build this strategy in a real way into the planning process and the execution process. Absolutely. Well, let me tell you just a quick story. As I mentioned, I have two little kids, and one of them was mm-hmm. in kindergarten last year. And one of his good friends um, has a gluten allergy. Well, uh, my son came home one day, and he says, my friend, well, I'll call him Timmy, Timmy's allergic mm-hmm. to cupcakes. And oh. I said, allergic to cupcakes? And so whenever there was a birthday party, the parents would bring cupcakes and then they would have a little party in the afternoon. Timmy couldn't participate because he was had a gluten allergy. And so on my son's birthday, because I was aware of that and because I've been exposed to uh, this industry and the focus on making sure that you make people feel welcome through designing the right menus and the food and beverage experience, I deliberately bought some gluten-free cupcakes for this boy so that when we celebrated my son's birthday, he felt included. I mean, imagine how this child felt watching this experience unfold around him, how excluded, how excluded he feels. We do that in the events industry unintentionally 
all right. the time. We And I think it's related to not knowing, deeply empathizing and knowing the people and their needs that, that attend our events. And so mm-hmm. another fact that was discovered through research that was done by Meeting Professionals International and New York University, they partnered together to do some research and basically grade our industry on how inclusive our event experiences were. The number one most well-served demographic is men, and the number two is extroverts. We do a great job right, serving right. men and extroverts <laughs> in our events. I mean, think about all the networking events, the parties, the, you know, golfing, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. We do a great job there. The most underserved demographic introvert. So we need to understand the needs of the people coming to our events, empathize with them, and design the right event experience. Now, there's really no reason for why we can't do this either, Lauren. Registration systems and processes is the best place to start. Registration systems are so much better at being able to gather data from attendees than they've ever been. But we should be deliberate about asking the right questions to empathize with what the needs of our attendees are and then use that to build the right experiences. So what would you be asking? I mean, what type of questions would you like to see? I would like to see, we ask the standard questions. Do you have any food allergies? Do you have any sort of physical disabilities? We ask some of those basic questions. But asking questions, are, are you introverted or extroverted? Are you a nursing mother? Some of those things, I mean, think about it. Are you, do you have any sort of religious um, special needs that we need to account for? Mm -hmm. So, for example, there's a a very large industry event that happens every year over Ramadan. And there are a lot of suppliers there that are Muslim. So, Mm -hmm. during Ramadan, Muslims, they fast from sunup to sundown. So, they can't eat. They can't drink. They can't even put a mint in their mouth. Imagine being a supplier working an event. You're starving. You need to pray more through the day. And how, what sort of event experience does that provide you? So being able to recognize who's coming, choose dates that maybe don't coincide with or conflict right. with some of those things we need to be deliberate about. But in defense of all of us and that CEO that I mentioned, Our social circles influence our perspective. And if we don't have diverse social circles at work and at home, it's really easy to overlook the needs of the customers we have to serve. Suppose you find out that, you know, a large percent of your audience identify as introverts. What what difference do you build into your planning process to accommodate that? You could plan for networking events that are held in smaller spaces, networking events that are held online. I mean, think about all the social networking you do on various social sites. In addition to networking over a cocktail hour, you get networking online via social apps. I mean, there's all sorts of cool things that you can do. And, you know, it's most important, though, that make sure that whatever that demographic is, for if it's introverts that you're looking to solve, issues for, make sure you have introverts at the table that can help inform the design. Right. That's the bottom line. 
Yeah, it's funny because we do so much of that in in our industry, going to a you know cocktail reception with thousands of people. And when I'm interviewing people for for a job um, with North Star Meetings Group, it's one of the questions I ask, like, how comfortable are you, you know, with the idea of going to a conference and there might be five thousand people at this conference. You don't know anyone because you just started in the industry and you're walking into a a cocktail reception and you need to talk to people. That's an uncomfortable thing for I I think even for people who would identify as extroverts. One question I've um heard come up is the idea of having a diverse roster of speakers. I think you absolutely need to get the right person for the job. No right. doubt about it. But there are some people who would be right for the job that may not be considered because they aren't well known. There's an emerging uh, trend of speakers, women and uh, and people of color, really amazing speakers that may not be considered because they aren't part of the tried and true lineup. They weren't at right. the conference the year before. So I think there's an opportunity for us to find the right person, but cast a broader net to to consider those who are different from our, our traditional lineup. Now, mm-hmm. the business impact is your attendees may be turned off if they are now expecting a diverse lineup of speakers. And right. so you need to think about also um, not just a diverse lineup of speakers. They want to hear really great speakers. But there is an expectation now because this is an area where we have not done a great job in our industry. There is an expectation where we deliberately focus on how to source and find great speakers, but speakers of non-dominant uh, categories. Right, right. And it is a challenge. I find speakers for our events, and what I try to do is bring new people to our events because we've got a lot of experienced uh, audience participants on the supplier and buyer side. They don't want to see the same people they've seen at every industry event. Neither, as, as neither do I. You know, as wonderful as they might be, I want to be exposed to different areas of expertise. You know, and and different voices. But what are some other common um, mistakes? that you see in people's effort to to make their events more inclusive. We talked a lot about introverts. We talked about millennials. But I think another example of that is just being aware of the energy levels of all of the people at the events. And I'll, and I'll give a specific example because I think introverts, we really need to learn more about this. So because it takes an introvert even more energy to be plugged into the traditional type of experience, it's important to build in breaks and design spaces within your event that allow for small corners, that allow for small places for people just to step out and recharge. Uh, that allow for those one-on-one conversations. It's not in this massive exhibit hall, Mm -hmm. but be deliberate about designing the space to address those needs. I think another tactic that's very common, and I mentioned this earlier, is if you have women, a large population of women under 40 a 10-year event, most likely somebody's going to be nursing. And as a former nursing mother trying to balance work and attending events, it's not easy. You lug all your equipment from the hotel room. You need quiet, dedicated, clean space. But what happens so often, we don't plan for that. And so nursing mothers have to either leave the conference for an hour or so to get back to their hotel room and handle that or go to a bathroom. We just have to plan specifically for those types of needs. You never see an accommodation for 
for nursing moms. I mean, I think it's super rare. Do you agree? It's improving. I'm starting to see okay. some of those mobile nursing stations and airports yeah. and things like I've that. I've seen them They're in the starting airport, to get right. it. Yeah, right. but we need to be deliberate about that in our, our conference experiences as well. Right. What other advice would you give a, a meeting professional? I think uh, make sure that the team of people you have at the table, you are representing all of those people that you serve. If they aren't on your team, you at least are deliberate about capturing the voice of the people that you serve. That's so important so that you can use data, not just your opinion, because we often have a limited perspective, but you can use data to then inform your decisions. And so be very, very deliberate about eliminating any bias in your design process. You can't eliminate it from your minds, but you can eliminate bias from your design process. For a planner who is from a smaller organization who might not have a formal strategy or be able to hire a consultant to help with this, what are some like basic essentials that you would say next time you're going into your planning meeting for your next event? These are a couple things to keep in mind and to mention to the other decision makers. Definitely survey your attendees in advance. Even before registration, you can start to survey people who have clicked through to your ads, do some polling to gather their insights and some of their needs, and then that'll help inform some of the questions you need to build into registration. So that's number one. Then during registration, ask good questions. And for example, do you have um, uh, hearing? Are you hearing impaired? That's another thing. If you have a high population of people who are hearing impaired, you probably need to hire people who can help sign. Or you right. you uh, transcribe the keynote speakers and, and you put it on the screen or in the app so they can read along. Uh, so gather really good. Ask, be curious and ask really good questions in the registration process. Identify and mo- mostly the, about their ability. Abilities or Abilities, um, but then keep... Abilities, preferences, but keep some open-ended questions in there. For example, you could put, is there anything we need to know about your needs to make this experience better for you? Right. And leave it open-ended. Do you ask the question of gender and do you include a other or prefer not to answer? You can always make these questions optional. Don't require these questions at all and you get yourself into some trouble, but make them optional. In an attempt, quote, in an attempt to serve you even better, we want to know this about you. Boom, boom, boom. And then Mm -hmm. you ask those questions. Right. For small budgets, going back to your original question, Mm -hmm. there may be some things that you can and can't do based on budget constraints. I mean, these additional accommodations can cost more money that your budget can't afford. So I recommend prioritizing. Look for the themes and the needs of the masses of people coming to your event. If you've got mm-hmm. 60% introverts, guess what? You probably need to reallocate some money there. Mm-hmm. If you've got a large population of nursing women, that tells you you need to spend the money on getting some dedicated nursing rooms. If you've got a high population right. of, you know, it just all depends on the priorities and the themes. You can't be all things to all people, but you can prioritize based on the largest needs. Is there ever any benefit to asking a question about ethnicity or race on a registration form? If there's a business need for it, if you're trying to increase attendees from a certain demographic, absolutely. 
even if you don't have a business need yet, I, I think it's wise to start benchmarking the demographic data. Right. Because in a year or two from now, you may wish you had had that benchmark data. There are a right. lot of organizations that I'm working with now that have an anecdotal, you know, they have a sense that they have right. a lack of diversity in certain categories, but they can't right. provide numbers. How do you build right. measurable outcomes and show improvement if you can't show a difference? Any other advice that you would give? Because we, there's still so much we have to learn. There's a lot of progress we've made, mm-hmm. but there's so much more that we can do to get even better at building welcoming experiences at our events. Make sure that you're plugged into conversations. There's great conversations online where you can get amazing best practices and tips on what to do. And so make sure you're plugging into those conversations and just be deliberate and be aware that you may have limited perspectives. So be deliberate about talking to and interacting with people who are different from yourself so that you can illuminate blind spots that you may not be aware exist. And right. that would be the, right. the last piece of advice I would give. And I'm happy to provide, I provide complimentary advice to anybody who's looking to uh, to improve in the area of inclusion. So I would love to continue the conversation with anybody who's interested. They can check me out at melissamajors.com, book some free time with me, and, and uh, I'm happy to help them explore the needs. Right, which is how I connected with you um, by going to your website and just clicking an appointment date and time, and we had a lovely conversation. Yeah, so easy peasy. That. You're making it easy for people to reach out, and that's wonderful. Thank you. Well, Thanks, I Thank you for your time. You gave us a lot of great information, and um, looking forward to continuing the conversation. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to chat with you. I'd like to thank American Airlines for sponsoring today's episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. Be sure to rate and review us and subscribe. Check back for new episodes soon.